0: Hello. This is Gwen Frey with the Dialogue Box, and I'm joined today with Tyler Sigmund. Sigmund? Did I say your name right? Sigmund. Yeah. Sigmund. Um, yeah. So, do you want to introduce yourself real quick, Tyler?
1: Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm. So, I currently I'm I'm co-founder of Red Hook Studios. We make Darkest Dungeon, uh, and we are hard at work on Darkest Dungeon Two. Um, but I've been designing games, uh, I guess, full full time for about. 17 years now. Holy cow. And then probably a good five years before that, um, where I was moonlighting and trying to figure it all out. And it turns out you never figure it all out. So that's been fun. But, uh, but yeah, I've been doing it a bunch of time. Uh, video games, um, some board games. I really enjoy designing board games too, but um, video games have been kind of paying the bills. And uh, Did you st- yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to, to talk about stuff.
0: <laughs> nah, man, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, so y- y- your Darkest Dungeon feels how do I put it? It's definitely a video game, but I can definitely see the inspiration of it being kind of coming from a board game designer. Did you start out as with board game design or is it something you're kind of passively interested in? Um, I
1: started out, um, you know, other than, okay, other than like um, say doing like level editing or stuff like that in video games, um, the first like proper game of my own, I think that I I tried to make was, um, was a board game for sure and so i started like i think that was around yeah i kind of cut my teeth making board games like just pre-2000 like 1998 like around then 1999 and i had no money i had a a different career i mean i I had enough money to have food and shelter (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um you know publishing a board game back then there was no such thing as like kickstarter or kind of pre-orders like that so um, you know, the concept of, like, paying thousands of dollars to print a game was beyond my means. And so um, right around that time was, like, the start of digital, like, PDF commerce. Like, PayPal was just maybe not even on the scene yet. Uh, I remember there was, like, InstaBuy and some other stuff. And the concept of, like, buying virtual goods was just happening. And um, and so I I kind of melded those two things together and made some card games and board games and sold them as print and play that you'd pay like five bucks for and download the pdf and then you had to like print it out and cut it out yourself
0: <laughs> yeah so, i I loved those games when i was a kid i mean this is showing my age because i'm like i re- <laughs> i loved cheap ass games specifically which were kind yeah, of like, that yeah. whole vein you know
1: yeah they were so good i mean james they're so creative and also what they did there was good and it, and the irony of the i mean the name but like they were so well produced even for say even out of cardstock, you know, they had a they had a really good thing. He had good graphic design and and of course just made some cool games. So they were definitely an inspiration. Like if you go out and grab my the first yeah, the first three games that I had actually picked up and published by someone were these little board games that I or card games that I'd started like that. And and basically it was a cheap ass competitor that licensed them and printed them out. And um, I still have some copies floating around, but like they—they're not like as well produced as the Cheap Ass. You know, the Cheap Ass—they were on top of their game for what they were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh man, that really takes me back. So you—you you were in the scene way back then. How did you? I—I uh, I mean, the most exciting stuff—the stuff I'd love to talk about is the stuff you how you founded Red Hook and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. could briefly talk about how did you get there? How did you? Uh, how did you meet your co-founder? How did you find mm-hmm. Red Hook? What was the kind of the journey to get from a person who was making games kind of for fun and had three three little uh, board games published to, to mm-hmm. where you are now? Yeah,
1: it was, you know, it's funny. I went to school, or I went to university for um, aircraft engineering, which was, I, I really thought that's what I wanted to do. I had always been a game fanatic, you know, of course, like playing games. And, and yeah, I programmed some when I was little, like, you know, on the Atari 400 and stuff like that and tried to. Learn basic and all that, but I it never really even occurred to me that it's something you could do for a living. Um, yeah. Even though, ironically, I totally admired and looked up to the designers and stuff of the games I was playing, um, like Sid Meier, and you know I played a, a ton of Commodore games. They were really influential. Um, but anyway, it was just kind of a you know I was a game fanatic, but I was career wise, I was really focused on becoming like a maybe a test pilot or whatever. And so I went to school for aircraft engineering. And, but I was always like goofing around in games on the side. And then even when I got my first jobs, I was like, it was so hard to prevent myself from like jotting down game ideas or whatever while I was at work, um, you know, making spreadsheets about games, whatever. And so that's when I was moonlighting. And so eventually I just kind of realized like, wow, I think I want to do this more than I want to make airplanes. Um, and that it helped that airplanes were really cool to be around, but the the process was pretty boring. Like, everything took forever. If you're not at the right company, it's just really conservative and slow and just, ugh. and um, so yeah, I eventually like decided to try to break into games, but it took a long time cause I knew no one and there was no, yeah, like I just, I, I would send out resumes and you know, it's kind of a catch 22. You're like, well, I don't have experience in the game industry, even though like I'd made some games, but um, it just, I found it hard to break in. Um, but eventually I did break in and that was in 2004 and that's a story in itself. But, um, that was such a big, exciting moment. Like just changing careers like that. Uh, it was just, I felt like I was living a dream. Yeah. I remember like when my first, so I got a job at the studio and this is relevant to how, you know, Red Hook eventually got founded, but I got a job at this uh, company called backbone entertainment in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. And, and, the first game I got to work on was Age of Empires for the DS. Nice. And it was just like such a, I mean, I want to say lucky break. It, I guess it was. I mean, I had been trying to break in a long time, but finally I think they liked that I had some board game experience and this was supposed to be a turn-based adaptation
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, uh, of Age of So it was basically like the creative brief for it was take Age of Empires, specifically Age of Kings, the second one, um, and blend it with Advance Wars, and this was for this new platform coming out called the Nintendo DS. <laughs> so, you know, they they weren't even uh, for sale yet, you know, but we were developing. And I remember, like, the producer, like, I, so I got the job offer, I accepted it, went in, you know, before I started, and she's like, here's, here's like, a GBA, and here's Advance Wars. Like, your homework is to go play this. And I, and I know that sounds silly, and we don't just play games all day long, but I couldn't believe it, and I felt like, I felt so guilty the idea of that like I was allowed to play a game and it was relevant to actually like my job and they were going to pay me to like, <laughs> to like, you know, I was like, okay, I'll play at night. I'll play. It. She's like, it's okay. just like, play it some, get familiar with advanced wars. Like,
0: <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, does that guilt ever go away? Cause I'll admit like now I feel that still when I'm like, I should stop mm-hmm. and play video games. I haven't played a game in three weeks. I've been working all the time on like, you know, getting the game done. And if I don't, expose myself to other games that are out there then that's a bad thing yeah and i know that logically but i still feel guilty if i pause oh, I,
1: I have the guilt too yeah oh i'll like to the point where like if i decide to boot up a game during the day which rarely happens because i feel super guilty um i'll put like steam on private so they can like like even though my job is to design games I just have this feeling like you know my teammates are going to see this little steam notification like
0: oh totally and even if
1: it's relevant to something I'm trying to figure out or I just need a you know 15 minute break it's weird I know it's so stupid I own my own company <laughs> like like I'm the that, design director and that I does feel it. like I need to hide if I'm going to sample that doesn't that makes
0: the guilt worse though right because like, because <laughs> you think like there's this idea that like if you own a company you do whatever you want but it's not true yeah. when you have employees oh. you work for them in a way oh right? yeah like your job is to make sure that they are happy at all times that you are exemplifying you know the that yeah. what what you want in the team and so it's uh oh yeah i
1: feel yeah because i'm like well I don't want them playing games all day long so i'm not going to do it and and to be fair i don't but it's just like even for a moment you know do i really care if someone's like playing games for a few minutes and it and they refocus no but but if they play for three hours like yeah i don't we that's not that doesn't work because we keep like we actually keep regular like working hours yeah it's it's ironic that the more employees you have the definitely the less freedom um unless you're one of those people that's like going to be a what i consider like kind of a jerk company owner Where you're like, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, I do feel like you have a responsibility to kind of like model the behavior you want. And none of us are perfect. So, um, but yeah, it it gets funny when actually that is a way of like enhancing your own skills and awareness is to stay alert and try things.
0: But you can't do it on the clock. It's like homework you have to do. (laughs) Like, yeah, I know.
1: Hard, but then, but then, ironically, at night these days, I'm I'm kind of just. Like, I don't play as many games as I used to, not because I, it's just, you know, I'm, I don't know, if I'm getting older, and you played a lot of games, and, and then I get tired of being on the computer, especially during the pandemic,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, like, friends would be like, let's get on Zoom call, I'm like, no, like, <laughs> no chance in hell, am I, and it's not because I don't want to see friends, it's just like, I'm tired, so, so that's affected my game playing a bit, too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely understand, Zoom calls bum me out, to be honest, like, the, the friend, I feel like when I have those chats with friends, all it does is remind me that we can't hang out. And after a while, I'm just kind of sad anyway. Like, it's fun in the moment. And the second you hang up, you're like, oh. And I definitely, like, have ratcheted back in in the number of games I play. I think for me, what Mm -hmm. had to happen was I had to, like, set aside a day a week where I don't, where I'm like, no matter what, I will not open the editor. Uh, And then on that day, I tend to, after about halfway through the day, I'm like, I'll play a video game. (laughs) and that's that's what it takes you know
1: yeah they simultaneously like kind of got me through the pandemic but then also there's i don't know i think it's just the itchiness of just wanting to be off the computer and out and about uh, but yeah so um so at backbone um when i was so yeah i got to work on age of vampires which was amazing and i somehow managed to be the lead designer of that game when it was my first video game job um which was just kind of luck of the draw that um I mean, I had the board game experience and and whatever. Um, and then, funny enough, even though it was Age of Empires, it wasn't really the high profile project at the time. Like there was some other stuff going on in the studio that had everybody's like um, attention. Mm-hmm. And so this was kind of a. It didn't have a big budget, and even though it was a great license, I think no one really expected anything of it. They're like, "All right, we got this work for hire gig. We're gonna." Turn Age of Empires turn base? That sounds risky. Anyways, so like I got put in there on this small team, and it ended up being just like such a such a cool project. Like I'm still I still think about it. It's definitely one of the funnest games I've worked on and and, um one of the ones I'm most proud of. But um yeah, I definitely felt like I was living the dream. But while I was there at Backbone, I met Chris Barassa, who's the other co-founder of Red Hook. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the where we first met, and it was a long time. You know, we founded Red Hook in 2013, and we—I guess—we met there at Backbone in 2004. So there was a, a big gap in between, but that was certainly—that was like the key, you know, the key meet.
0: Sweet. Was he on Age of Empires with you?
1: No. The only thing he did on Age of Empires was the cover art for the packaging. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. He was on um, at the time. He was on a game called uh, Rifts. So the the pen and paper game Rifts—they were making a um, a video game out of for the Engage. so this like i don't know if some of you've even heard of the engage you're gonna have to look it up nokia's like highly funded entry into a gaming phone back before iphone um it was cool it was like this rad project where like it was so that's what i mean about like age of empires ironically was like one third or something the budget of riffs or like i don't even know it was because nokia was like paying big money to try to like fund interesting projects to make this you know Make it a thing, um, make the engage a thing. But anyway, yeah, Riffs was, was, was just like insane, like thirty-hour RPG pixel art for the engage, you know, like, and that's what Chris was working on.
0: Man, this is so cool. So you guys, wow, you've been doing this for a long time, and so is great. This is interesting. Oof. So Man, how did I, I, did you stay at backbone the entire time until you two eventually founded uh, Red Hook, or did you guys kind of split up and meet up again later?
1: Yeah, we, we split up. So we were, um, we both left within like a week or two of each other at Backbone, which was funny because, um, so yeah, Age of Empires happened. He was working on that. Then we got put on, um, the next game was a Sonic the Hedgehog game. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm like, wow, like all of a sudden I'm leaving the Charmed Life. I get to work on Age of Empires. Now I get to work on Sonic. Um, that Charmed Life, it crashed, crashed, because that was a miserable project to work on. Mm-hmm. Um it was not fun working with the license holders. Unfortunately, um, it, it just was a weird. It was a weird thing. It was like, if not the first, it was one of the first Sonics that they had out. Uh, you know, let someone else do. And um, anyways, but Chris and I worked together on that, and so I was, um, I was like a lead designer on it, I think, and Chris was the art director, I believe, or the lead art. Yeah. And so that was the first time we got to work together, and we we kind of like developed. We start developing respect for each other, I guess, is just the simplest way because um we didn't really start as friends. I think we started as coworkers. Cause I was still living I was commuting across the border every day um from Bellingham, which is a little town of Washington mm-hmm. across the border. This was how much I wanted to be a game designer as I was commuting that's up to a, two hours each I was way gonna say and, that's a
0: two like, hour drive.
1: With the border, you know, so it's like Oof. Yeah. But that but I tell you what, like I was so happy. Like I you know, it was. It eventually wore me down, but for a while I could do that commute. But um, but I was kind of living a double life. Like I had friends and a house and a wife at the time in Bellingham. And then all these, like, I'd go to Vancouver, but then come home after work. It was weird. But so Chris and I got to work together and really just kind of developed, I guess, an appreciation of each other's talents.
0: Yeah. I I, well, I mean, um, when you're in a really shitty situation, that's when you tend to actually bond with people the most, in my experience. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's a great point, actually, the stress of that project. But, you know, for all the faults of the project, I guess we we each felt that, I mean, Chris would have to, I don't want to speak for Chris, but I guess we did found a company together so I can surmise this. But um, I think we both felt like, okay, well, that person is helping the project. Like, you know, that's not the weak link. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of realized we both like were super honestly ambitious and wanted to make great games. I think most people in games do, but um, it does vary. Um, I think some people just kind of, you know, take pride in their work and and go home, but we were like super ambitious about what we wanted to achieve. So we shared that. We gradually became poker friends.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we were, and that, so so after we left backbone, okay, right. So we worked on Sonic. Sorry, this is like long-winded. No,
0: that's all okay.
1: good. Um, Sonic Rivals is what it was called. It was for PSP. Um, and then, and then we worked on this really cool game called uh, Monster Lab, and it was like mad science meets turn-based combat. It was really cool, and it you can it's out there. It ended up coming out on DS and Wii, and maybe PS Two, I guess. Um, and we we both were, we were the respective leads on that up through um, Vertical Slice, basically. And for those of you that don't know, know, Vertical Slice is like an internal milestone where you're trying to demonstrate like all the key systems of the game, but you just don't have much content. So in a first person shooter, it would be like, here's a level. This mm-hmm. level shows kind of like what we're trying to achieve and has enough in there to kind of, you know, that it doesn't feel like a prototype per se. Um, but I don't know. We were, by that time, we were just kind of not feeling great about backbone backbone was going through some stuff and um, I'm still so grateful to have worked there and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So but, you know, I don't know. It just wasn't where we wanted to be. We could see, like, changes happening and whatever. And uh, so it's funny because I was, like, ready. I lined up a new gig and was about ready to quit. And then um, Chris quit, like, a week or two be- or put his notice in, like, a week or two before me. Yes. <laughs> and I was so mad because, just... like, I was, I was a lead. He was a lead. And I was like, okay, I'll be the first one out. And then at least they won't all be on my shoulders, you know? <laughs>
0: But instead, like the design director and the art director quit within a week. Yeah. And then
1: I think the producer quit right after that. Uh. um, I know it was. No, it's not your
0: fault. You have to do what's right for you. It's just, I can imagine being on that team. I mean, that's, that's the moment when, when somebody steps up and like grabs the reins or they don't, you know, Uh, a
1: lot of opportunity there and, you know, and I think with experience in age i can reflect back and see like you know things i should have done better handled better or whatever um you know so there's i think there's always a little bit of a a two-way street in some things you know but but i do think it was absolutely the right the right move like I, i just think like where where i wanted to be and where the company was going was kind of like two different things and um you know whatever and and I think Chris probably felt the same. Yeah, I mean so, now that uh, you
0: now that you own a large company and you you have to deal with things, do you look back at those old jobs and just see your uh the the people you worked for in a different light? Like I know when I was in California and I started out in startups, uh we would always those of us making the games would talk about the higher-ups and we were always we had so many gripes yeah. and I look back now and I'm like some of my points were right, but most of this was just I had no goddamn clue.
1: You know. Yeah, definitely a mix. I think that um, it's so easy. It's it is really easy to second guess leadership, and I think a lot of times that's very deserved. You know, I think mm-hmm. there are bad leaders and there are mistakes made. You know what I mean? All those things. But yeah, there's also things that like got me bent out of shape that now I look back and I was like, or you know, or like for example, like I'll I'll flub a similar thing at Red Hook and be like, ah, uh, yep get it because i think one one of the biggest one of the hardest parts for example about r- running red hook right now is you know you just don't have your full attention to solve every problem so i think that a lot of times when you're um when you're an underling say um then you know you're 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 sitting there dwelling on something going this is how i would do that um, but when you're like, say running the company, then you're getting assaulted on all sides all the time with constant <laughs> issues. And so I think it's easy to mess up because you, even if you mean well, um, sometimes you're just like, oh man, that's the last thing I was going to think about this week, but it's so important to that person, you know, yeah. to that employee, for example, that little thing is, is the most important thing going on to them right now. I say little, I, I don't mean it as little. I just mean that one thing is the most important thing going on to them. And it may be item number seven of 11 that is on your plate today. you know, And that, that's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that.
1: <laughs> but, but that, but that also is, there's a joy to that and we can get to that. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing a, a poor me. I mean, we, I think, you know, the reason, one reason you start a company is because you want to be able to make those calls, you know, you want to be able to live, live or, you know, succeed or fail based on um, your own decisions, not other people's. And I think that, you know, Chris and I both were extremely that yeah,
0: way. It definitely <laughs> so. makes the highs higher and the lows lower. Because when you yeah. succeed, you know, it was all you. And when you fail, you know, it was all you <laughs> like yeah. it's not a lot of hiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah all the accountability. Yeah. All right, so let's yeah. get back to cheese. Uh, we're we're still very early here. When, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. When, when did you guys? Um, so what was the path that got you to to a place where the two of you decided to start a company?
1: Yeah. So, um, we left backbone, we both pursued our, our own paths and we kept, um, in touch and like, we became, like I said, poker friends. We had like a monthly poker group with some guys and, and, um,
0: I mean, and then Chris and I would just, please tell me you either moved to Vancouver or like, how many years did you spend, uh, commuting from America up to Vancouver?
1: Uh, five years.
0: Okay, yeah. oh, that's not, uh. five
1: years, about three, maybe three of those were a backbone and then two were um, when I went to another company called Big Sandwich and um, and then I moved up. So I did eventually move. Up.
0: Oh, okay, cool. I was gonna say, how are you playing poker? Like I enjoy poker, but I don't know if I would yeah. drive two hours to Oh yeah, poker. no, I did.
1: I would stay after work because um, it was once a month or so. I would stay after work and then we'd play late and then like around 11, whatever, I would like drive home get home at like one, go to sleep, get up at like seven and go to work. Again. Your wife is um, an angel. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was just, but it, but it wore me out. I mean, eventually, but I was, I was that excited to be in games though. And yeah. whatever. So, um, so we talk about projects and like, we we're like, Oh, maybe we should do like a choose your own adventure style book where Chris illustrates. And then I write and design. And then, so we talked about that for a while. And then we like, started on a web comic that never got published, you know, cause, cause basically Chris is a great artist and I brought th- these other skills. And so we were trying to find stuff that like matched together. Um, and it wasn't just video games. We were just talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but video games are where we knew eventually we're like, okay, that's where we, we should make a video game together. I mean, that's what we're doing all day long. That's what we practice. That's what we got to do. But um, we, we kept sort of like, it's a timing thing. Like, one of us would be sort of available and the other person would be just about to start a new contract or job or whatever it is. And, uh, and so it, you know, it took until 2013 until we lined up basically. But in the meantime, what, what was really good for, like for me, I went, um, from backbone to a company called big sandwich. They were a small, they were an indie developer. Um, they, I wasn't a founder cause they had already existed, but basically I, I came on a Initially, as like a contractor, but then became a full partner because they needed a design. Like basically, they had, they didn't have a design partner. They had programming, art, you know, etc.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they needed someone who who just was going to be a design director. So eventually, um, that's what I became there at Big Sandwich, and that was that was a great experience. Like it, it I think it was about five years. Yeah, 20, 2007 to two thousand twelve ish. Well, six years, including we we kind of got so basically we we made big sandwich did a mix they they made like art assets for like bioware and stuff um which was cool but um we were making a a a game that was privately funded for someone and that's what i worked on for most of the time and that um the the good experience was i learned a lot about running a small company from um you know the the guy who ran it was uh named glenn um and i learned a lot from him and just kind of i hadn't I hadn't really done entrepreneurship of that type before, mm-hmm. so you know I'd done my little thing where I was making games on the side, but that's kind of different. You know, um, this had employees and had operations and you know all this kind of stuff. So yeah. I, that that experience really helped um, when we started Red Hook, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like uh, I I don't I believe that that would help, <laughs> just understanding QuickBooks and yeah. payroll and uh, you know what it takes to run a company. Uh, in general, like legally. And also I imagine yeah, at that point, then, you, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: I
1: was, was going to say, and, and also we, um, so the, so the, I guess the best part of Big Sandwich is um, at one point where we needed a new contract. And so we just, you know, we were constantly pitching, just pitching, 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 because mm-hmm. this was the old days where you got to go to a publisher and pitch it and then get funded. There was just no, there's no crowdfunding. There was no, um, and we ended up making this game called Horde. That was my original idea where, um, horde like a dragon's horde mm-hmm. and it's a little top-down action arcade uh, i call it strata strategy arcade um game where you're a dragon and you're trying to like go around and burn villages and collect gold and um and, and take it back um to your pure to your horde and that's how you level up and it it was kind of like i didn't even know what the term moba was at the time because this was maybe 20 2010 ish i don't know Mm -hmm. Um, and, but basically it was MOBA like in the sense that you, you always start at level one or whatever, and you go gather gold and then level up and choose your upgrades and become more powerful. And then, you know, the game ends at some point, the match ends, it was both single and multiplayer, um, co-op or competitive. There was like tons of modes. Um, and that was like a super fun experience, but we, we published that on, um, Steam. We published that on, uh, PS3. And so like that also, like getting a chance to do all that, basically, you know, living the indie developer life um, was directly transferable to starting Red Hook, too.
0: Yeah, that's so did you go from there to starting Red Hook or was there something in between?
1: Yeah, so Big Sandwich um, ended up getting essentially aqua hired, which is a, basically a company comes in and hires your whole staff, but doesn't necessarily, for example, buy everything. Um and so we got aqua hired by this company in Seattle called Z2 and they were making mobile games. Cause this is like 2012 where Facebook mm. and mobile was like exploding. The future.
0: It was, yeah.
1: It really was. I mean, it went, it was like overnight going from when you go pitch games to publishers and you know, it's the usual like pitching for console or whatever. And all of a sudden it's like all of the money was in mobile and Facebook, all of it. Yeah. And so we were like trying to survive you know and so we were pitching stuff there and anyway we got um, we got picked up by this company that had made this game called Battle Nations that had been a hit Um, and they were looking to grow their capacity like kind of like Zynga and other stuff was doing at the time and so they basically bought us um, but the price wasn't super great so we're like no you should be paying more if you want like Horde was actually even making money at that point whatever and they're like well we don't want to pay anymore so it's, I'm really glad we did this. We're like, okay, well, if you're not going to pay any more, you're just not going to get any of the IP. And they're like, cool, we don't care. They just wanted us. Um, so we were able to like basically go to work for this new company, but keep all the big sandwich IP in you know in a drawer somewhere. Um, and I thought this was going to be cool. Like I had just done my MBA night school, um, you know, because I wanted to learn how to be a better business runner, basically. Uh-huh. Um, and I did that while, while we were doing Big Sandwich. It was crazy. I don't know. I don't was- know where I had all this energy because I don't have that amount of energy anymore. <laughs> no. Um,
0: well, this is actually really interesting to me. Do you learn anything uh, from that NBA night school that was like, do you think it was ton. worth it? Okay.
1: It was absolutely worth it. And I honestly thought I was kind of doing it for the credential um, because I thought maybe I'll be a video game exec at some point. Um,
2: uh-huh.
1: And so I was like, I want to go do this so that I can like go get a high power job maybe at. I don't want to do that anymore, by the way. I want to just make games. Like, i it's crazy. I, I was loving making games anyway, but I just thought, yeah, maybe I want to run a big triple A team or something. Um,
0: I mean, its you can change your mind throughout your life. You can pick totally. up. I mean, it could be that you yeah. do run a big triple A team. I mean, I don't know why you think Red Hook has to be. Let's see what happens with Red Hook, Tyler.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: So, <laughs> so yeah, it it actually, but the surprising thing is it was so useful, like. There were times, I swear to God, that like I would have accounting class at night and I would come in the next day and have an extremely relevant thing because we were in the middle of trying to get financing a big sandwich and or like even during this whole. Did you guys
0: period. Yeah, I can definitely see for an acquisition. I was going to say, do you yeah. guys have venture capital? Why would the MBA help you for accounting? Because I feel like games industry funding is so unique. At least yeah. it, maybe it is on a smaller scale. But once you get up into VC, I can definitely see that
1: yeah yeah i mean just operate honestly just operating a small business like it mm-hmm. it like i understood a balance sheet and a cash flow statement and and even though like i kind of thought i understood that step before it's totally different once like you actually have a foundation of knowledge like i've always been a fan of school i mean um i do believe people can be great at what they do whether or not they went to a formal education or not but sometimes it's really helpful um and so yeah like i think on the finance and operations even even stuff like Almost every class that I thought, oh, I'm not going to get anything out of this class that's relevant to my life, it actually had relevance, whether that's like communication or psychology or marketing or um, supply chain management even I found interesting, even though video games don't have a, a traditional supply chain where you're like, I need to buy lumber so I can machine that into you know, planks that I build a house on or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I really had a good experience, although I would have rather not done it in school. I would have rather done it... Full attention during the day, but this way I allowed it, it allowed me to keep working.
0: Yeah, um, totally.
1: Yeah, and I ended up because I funded it myself, whatever. So we got acquired by this company, and I was excited because I was like, okay, like we're going to run this Vancouver studio. They wanted us to grow it. I thought it was going to be rad. It was fucking miserable. It was an <laughs> awful, awful year. Probably my worst working year of my life uh, um, because what happened is right after they bought us, they changed their CEOs. So this happens all the time, but it's like, I got to experience it. It sucked. So the CEO who bought us was like, I want to have external studios. I want to grow our capacity, blah, blah, blah. We think you guys are good at, you know, this. We Then they replaced him with this other guy who hated us and never wanted us to begin with, but they had just bought us. So it's kind of like they just used and abused us. And I don't know, it was miserable. That sucks. Um,
0: this is what my yeah. biggest fear, honestly, because I know uh, there's a lot of acquisitions going on in the games industry right now. And that's true across the board. Some, yep. Even some of my friends that like kind of 20 person studios are selling their studios to Embracer and stuff. And I'm like, and they're paying them over several years. They have golden handcuffs. They have to, mm-hmm. if you get bought, you have to stay there for several years. Did you have golden handcuffs? Were you required to stay there?
1: Um, yeah, well, gold. Yes. So I had like vesting, um, cause the, the deal wasn't for like much money up front. Um, it was like for stock basically mm-hmm. or the equivalent. Um, and you can invest over like whatever, how, however, several years. And so, yeah, you feel like, um, Oh, well to get value, like I, I gotta stay. Um, and that was a really hard decision to leave. So basically it was just so brutal. I just felt like I, I, I had thought previously that sometimes, you know, it's a challenge, like, okay, this guy doesn't like us, we're gonna, we're gonna show him, you know, Um, I think sometimes the problems are just bigger, you know, you can't solve it, you can't just solve it by being a great employee or whatever, Um, in their defense, like, all right, if I'm the new CEO, and I want to do stuff, and I'm like, why did this other guy buy the studio, I don't even want to use it, like, it's a hard thing all around, I just wish, what I wish is the moment they realize that they just cut us loose and said, sorry. You know, here's your severance, go on your way. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Instead of kind of like treating us like second class citizens. So anyway, I have a lot of baggage over that, but in the end, um, it made me leave. You know, it was like really tough because I was running the studio at that point because the other guy had left, um, uh, like the other le- leader- leadership um, guy had left. So I was running the studio and I had all this um, excitement and pride out of trying to build a successful um, studio there, and I really liked my employees and i felt like we were a good team and um so leaving them was really hard because i it felt like i was betraying them you know Yeah. but it was it was just i could i literally couldn't do it any longer i was going to like i was running myself into the ground yeah and so i remember yeah cuz i remember the day like they didn't really like it either and so or like it was kind of a mutual it was definitely a mutual parting um they, like all of us were glad. And I remember the day where I worked out the deal with, with the guy and I came home to my girlfriend at the time and I just like jumped with joy. I was like, I'm out of that fucking place. I'm done. And I was just the happiest I had been in like so long. So, and then like a week later, Chris and I started Red Hook.
0: Ah, <laughs> so, uh, okay. So that's how it happened. Yeah. So how did, were, did you, when you were exiting that company, did you know you were about to found Red Hook or like, how did that, how did that go? I, I mean, you kind of, exactly. there's always, I feel like there's always the, re- when you, it's like a crab in boiling water, you'll be in a terrible situation, but until you see a lifeline out, I generally, at least personally, yeah. I don't leave. So I was wondering, like, did you yeah. kind of know that you were going to found a studio with Chris?
1: I'm trying to remember, honestly, like it was definitely on the, it, we we were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I did. I guess I did. Because Now that I think about like some of the discussions we had about Dark's Dungeon, et cetera, um, you know, which was Chris's original idea, blah blah blah. Um, yeah, I guess I did, but there was still just a little bit because I remember like Chris and I shortly after that, like he was like, "Oh, I just got this job offer from like whatever it was," and I was like, "What do you mean?" Because I thought we were doing this thing, and he's like, "Well, no, but we are doing the thing. But are we actually doing the thing?" I was like, "What do you mean? Yes, we're doing the." Thing. So we ended up, uh, you know. It was, we were still sort of like circling and, and to, to properly like kick it off. We went out and had like this boozy dinner and drinks where we, where we did it, where we like shook hands. We're like, we're fucking doing it. We're going to both turn down any job offers, you know, we're, we're making a go of it. So, but yeah, so I think it was percolating with like maybe an 80%, um, thing but it but it fortunately it was at the point that like i had to leave anyway like yeah. similar to like the monster lab thing we had reached this vertical slice of this no we shipped the game sorry we actually shipped the game that we were working on there at um z2 it was this racing game for for ios and uh that was my point i was like i'm out um but but yeah i, I was eyeing this already sorry that was a long
0: no it's not good It's. It, it was people all...
1: were, like please if please ask questions because like i don't want to just Ramble about shit. No one cares. <laughs> That's about,
0: true. So. This is live on Discord. So if anybody wants to ask a question, you can always raise your hand uh, and ask anything. Um, otherwise, yeah, I Chris
1: come out of um, so uh, timing again. Uh, timing is everything. Sometimes. So Chris had been Chris had gone off on this journey where he worked on um, Pirates of the Caribbean game for uh, Propaganda, which never ultimately shipped. But he'd literally drew pirates for like three years. I was—I remember being so jealous for three years because uh, Pirates is my favorite game of all time. But uh, Sid Meier's Pirates mm-hmm. and Chris on this rad pirate game that's AAA funded. All this it ended up getting canceled, so that was brutal for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he he hopped around and did a lot of uh, contract concept art because you know he's just a great artist. And but he had this great like he was trying to sort of pitch a game to Microsoft or was on a team that was, and it it didn't get greenlit. And so right at that point, he was like, well, shit, now what? And so we were both like, now what? At the same time. And I think back to that now, and I think like, like how how rough that experience of of that previous year had been. But then I think if it had been good, I wouldn't have quit. And then we wouldn't have started Red Hook. So it's a a trippy thing. It's like, I'm so grateful that I hated that company so much (laughs) that I had to leave. And um, because that's what led to Red Hook happening.
0: Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that the timing finally panned out for you too. Everything- you just
1: never know where the threads are going in your life. And I mean, I learned lessons from that company too, which is like, like you were kind of saying about the boiling water. Like, I mean, at some point it's on you to to also make your situation better. And I think I've done that a few times in my life where I stuck out way longer than I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was something noble about it. And I think that, um, at some point you only have yourself to blame you know you can you can grouse about your bosses and grouse about the company and grouse about how they don't appreciate you and grouse 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 but at some point you got to say yeah they don't and they're never going to change so it's up to me to improve my situation
0: yeah totally and then you did and so now we're at now we're at 2013 so you all right so the two of you darkest dungeon is clearly a collaboration between an incredible artist and an incredible designer like it's The vibe and the feel of that game, the, the, oh my God, it's one of my favorite games. I love it so much. How did, how did this get started? Um, was it just the two, how long was it just the two of you? Um, how did you fund this? Just tell me everything.
2: Okay.
1: First of all, thank you. I I really, we're still like Chris and I regularly have discussions where we're like, I can't believe this game is so popular. Like,
0: it's, it, you you know, made it's, you made amazing creative decisions that are so different from what other people would necessarily invest in. You know, like when you think of when you think of these hit indie games, the ones that are out there, they don't usually invest in V. O. For instance, um, mm-hmm. they don't uh, they the things you are focused to stay on two D and have this kind of painted hand drawn art style that was very unique visually and made it very distinct was huge. And also, just in general, I think what makes indie games shine is uh, just a tight, beautiful design. Like I I think um you hit this thing where it was how do I put it? You did something that I think is similar to what Clay does. It, it's definitely design focused game um with an art style that is fantastic but also low budget and is flexible based on the design. You know what I mean? Which allows the yeah. design to iterate. I I just uh, I I think you just nailed it. Um with something I, that was really distinct and beautiful.
1: I appreciate that. I think um The simplest answer is it was a game that used our skill set you know i think that and that's i think when you look at a lot of a lot of games that really end up being successful especially on the indie side um it's it's because that's what that creator could do you Mm -hmm. know like so in, in chris and i's case so chris is a 2d artist i mean he did plenty of 3d art direction um he worked at you know a place that made uh animated cartoons but via 3D art you know he's very good as an art director also but he himself makes 2D art like he doesn't model he doesn't zbrush he doesn't do any of that stuff um and I my strength on the design side or or at least my interest but I, is um systems and so I think that like one really kind of cool sometimes frustrating but cool part about making games is it's, you know, a designer is not a designer, an artist is not an artist. Like, there's so many areas to specialize or, you know, whatever. And so, like, for me, like, I'm not a a good level designer. Like, I just, I'm not. Um, But I love building systems. I love building interesting interlocking systems that end up kind of the systems themselves create the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a player, for example, like I love playing through an amazing scripted level. You know, I love playing Uncharted. I love playing all that stuff. But like, I wouldn't be a good designer on Uncharted. <laughs> this like, is I
0: funny. I would- <laughs> no, I'm the, I am I feel the same way. Like I, I can, I love systems heavy D games. Like we're going to talk at some point about Slay the Spire mm-hmm. and Monster Train. I love Darkest oh, Dungeon. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. You know, my favorite games are 2D games, but my background and what I make for a living is definitely 3D animation. And it's like- and the the things I love to make as a, as a creator are always like visually stunning triple A quality animation, if at all possible and things Mm -hmm. that are more in that vein. Um, So it's just funny to me that that you feel the same way that there's, that you like uncharted games, but you make darkest dungeon.
1: Yeah. And you know, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely games that I aspirationally wish I could design and just don't think I would be good at it all. Um, I'm not, you know, sure. Broaden your horizons, always try stuff you, you know, but But it's like yeah you've got certain strengths and and um so darkest dungeon was kind of nice because it um it was born entirely out of okay we're we're what can we make together like when it when we originally first talked it was going to be like i was going to program it in game maker and it was going to be like you know 2d just we didn't have combat worked out at that point yet but you know, Chris was going to draw these cute little sprites, and I was going to program it all, and we were going to like make a game the two of us. Um, and then we just quickly kind of realized that um, it happened really fast. Um, that it just needed—we needed it needed to be bigger. We needed—we needed a programmer. So um, yeah, so we kicked it off and like I knew this guy that I worked with at Big Sandwich, um, and he was just kicking around, not working anywhere, and he was a really—he uh, had his own like two D engine and was really he was really good at like building tech fast um and uh so we we chris and i started red hook but we brought him first on the project so say Um, that is
0: the luckiest find ever you just found a board programmer that would work on your project with you i mean i know you have history but holy shit you are like that is some incredible timing i mean
1: well, we'll get through the whole story, but... Sorry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think... So, staffing Dark Dungeon was hard because, um, yeah, we talked to people and they had, like, fat jobs at Microsoft yeah. or AAA Studios or at random other studios in town that were paying well. Um, and they're like, wow, that sounds so cool, guys. Um, I could never do it because we had no money, like, lined up. I mean, yeah. so Chris and I had... It's so hard. It's like, I know there's so much I could... So we didn't have funding lined up. I had I had some savings. Chris had some savings that bought us some runway. But right away, like, our plan super fast was, like, Kickstarter. Like, we knew... At that point, Kickstarter was totally on the radar, and it was kind of going through its first real big, like, you show a screenshot of a Zelda-like, and people throw you money. Um, that was that phase of, of Kickstarter on the video game side. And, um... So that was our goal uh, was to get to Kickstarter and then the game needed to kind of succeed on its own merits there. Like if we had gotten to Kickstarter and not funded, um I think we would have sh- probably shaken hands and said, well, we tried and let's go get a job in a studio again. Um because like we also believe that If we couldn't demonstrate the game was interesting then why spend several more years making it and then just release and have it flop you know like we never realized it was gonna be a hit like this but we wanted to demonstrate to ourselves that um there was a market like this sounds really businessy but um it was it really comes from a standpoint of what we were giving up like we were you know i was probably what 38 or 39 i don't know i'm trying to think chris a couple years younger we knew we could be making good salary working on a cool game at, you know, a big studio. Like, we knew that was out there for us. Um, And that's what we were trading off. And so, um, and we both were living with people, you know, he had a, I think he had already had a kid, maybe two kids, I'm not sure. Um, So there was this pressure financially too, to be like, you know, we, I don't want to spend the next five years... whatever no and so- i i
0: there's a thing that's hard to articulate because a lot of the yeah. indie community is you know people who don't have a ton of responsibility in their 20s and it's very yeah. different when you wake up every day and you make the decision every single day to not go get a six figure salary because you totally could and you yeah. you realize every year that passes that all of a sudden it's like oh I may not be able to go back to work anymore because now it I've got this harder. these years yeah. of... Yeah, because now I've been off the market for a couple of years. My contacts are cold. People are like, hmm, what happened there? There's yeah. a stink of failure. There's this fear that happens at all times. That's like, oh, I had a good career. Why did I give this up? I mean, yeah. when we when we kickstarted the... I don't want to say this. Over the course of uh, the first two years, the molasses flood, The mm-hmm. I founded that company with five other people. Two of them mm-hmm. got divorced. Like, oh, yeah. it was... <laughs> it's a strain um to to just wake up every day and just say hey we're doing this with we're burning through our savings and we're doing this when you're at a place in your life where that's not uh typical
1: (laughs) yep yeah exactly like there's a lot of pressure on like you should be productive and i don't know and Mm -hmm. but financially yeah we both also were nervous we're like you know, it feels weird because we had worked like he and I both worked our whole adult lives with like no breaks, like other than vacation. Like I'm not one of these martyrs that doesn't take vacation. Like fuck that, no, take vacation. But we both worked pretty at a pretty good clip, you know, for our whole adult lives. And all of a sudden, you're like not bringing in money. It's weird. So actually, Chris was still doing contract art, but I I wasn't um bringing in money. I was living on savings, and it's a, it's a trip. It's like you know, I mean, I'm sure some of you in the audience have done this, but you're like, you're working on spec, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you're like, I'm putting I mean, in this effort and hoping you know that eventually it'll pay off. But um, Psychologically,
0: oh, but- the only way I could do it was I made a separate bank account that was like the bank, um, even so Chump Squad right now, my current company is just me, mm-hmm. but there's a Chump Squad bank account and I took the amount of money I was willing to risk, put it in that bank account and I pay myself a regular salary out of it Oh because yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's the only way I can like mentally not lose it
1: it's too, yeah, it's, it's too, it's too weird. And, and I do recognize, like, we were fortunate um, to have some savings, like, if we had no savings, we wouldn't even be able to do this. And so that's what I kind of tell people is like, you know, yeah, like you, you can do things to prepare yourself for the chance to take your shot, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it takes time and, you know, whatever. And so, but yeah, you're trading off, it's just a different trade off. Maybe when you're 22, you have no money, but you're not like, you're not trading off this giant, you know, mid-level manager salary you could get, or you whatever. Have nothing
0: to lose either.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. what it is. It's true. Um, oh, so like you're saying, it's hard to get staff. Yeah. So like we talked to people in our network that we really wanted to work with, and they're like, they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. And they're mm. like, well, when you have funding, basically come back. You know, let me know when you have funding. Yeah, um, I can't.
0: I can't find a programmer for less than one hundred thirty thousand and like i can't pay that like uh, i know this has been a a pretty constant thing and i assume you Mm -hmm. did you pay those early people with equity or with uh yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah so we we basically what we could offer is we said well look we'll offer profit share you know we can't offer any money right now um but we'll offer profit share and so we had to find people that were willing to take that risk and that right away yeah like you're saying there like you you know of the 10 talented people you know now you're down to one or two Uh (laughs) like who can either afford to do it right then or are willing to take the risk. Um, and uh, that's that was definitely a thing. And so, yeah, we were able to kind of like... So it was just three of us for a little while there. Um, it was me, Chris, and Kelvin, who was the programmer. Um, and we broke ground. And then we brought on... At some point, we quickly realized that we needed to do some amount of animation. Like, we literally were going to do, like, keyframe or, like, just have, like, sprites, like... Ice skating across the screen, like you know, we we were trying to do this all on on super super cheap sounds wrong, but like you know, as inexpensively as possible. Yeah. And uh, but we're like, no, we need to actually. So we brought on Brooks, um, who was the the animator, uh, the 2D animator. So he cut up Chris's drawings in in spine, and then um, kind of animate him flash style. And uh, we brought him on also for profit chair because again, we had nothing to offer.
0: Yeah. So yeah. We,
1: that, so we kind of built up our core team that way.
0: How big were you by the time you Kickstarted?
1: I have? I'm trying to think. Um, the timing's a little. OK, I think it was Chris, myself, Kelvin, Keir, uh, uh, Keir Myron, another programmer that we added right for Kickstarter. Um, and he I'd worked with before. And I was like, I, I, I couldn't poach him because I had like an anti-poaching clause. Um, but I was just like waiting for him to quit he, he was still at that awful company mm-hmm. and the awful company. Um, well, I say awful. I'm sorry to those of <laughs> you that may have worked there and loved it. I had an awful experience, um, but they closed the Vancouver studio about six months after I left. And so then cure became free and I, and we snapped him up fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was about five us, but plus power up audio who we had already um, made a deal with to do the audio. Um, they're the best. And so I think it was us and by that time we had Wayne June on also just doing like we thought just doing um, voices for trailers. But then we realized we got to have this guy like in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, we we're we we're pretty small. I hope I'm not missing anyone. Um, we we're pretty small at that point.
0: That's awesome. Okay.
1: Well, all through Dark Stungeon we were pretty small. But we did end up getting close, a little closer to 10 as Dark Stungeon went on. We added another uh, programmer, Pierre. We added, you know, like we added more people
0: yeah as you had the funding and the capacity and it became clear this was going to be bigger and bigger how big are yeah, you guys- totally.
1: so that's that's how we um dark, sorry kickstarter brought us some money and that basically brought us enough to pay minimal salaries and pay our out-of-pocket costs and get us to early access um but you were saying something earlier about how like doing doing this indie kind of stuff is hard to like fund. yeah like we applied for these canadian uh, media grants that are kind of, I don't want to say easy to get, but a lot of projects that you're like, what? Get get these grants. And we thought we were going to get this grant, no problem. Because I was like, I can write a great proposal. They're going to love the psychological aspect, you know, of this game, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we ended up not getting the grant. So it's like, you know, no publisher was, like, no one was interested in the game until we kickstarted. And then they're like, oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's always like that. Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm actually you got in there in the heyday of Kickstarter too. It's hard to kickstart a game that isn't yeah. people want to people are similar to publishers and they want really pretty art and lots of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean you do have you do, do have you do gorgeous games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Well
1: that that was an advantage we had, right? I mean, thanks to Chris's art. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, it was the heyday. So if you look at like Kickstarter trends over the years, video games have gone kinda of down or certainly like They went down and then slowly, but like board games continue going up, but video games, it's harder to to fund now on Kickstarter (laughs) because the truth is they honestly, most games cost way more than you can get on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, but even on the board game side, if you look at it now, basically people bring nearly finished board games or certainly they, they can fake it pretty good. Um, You know, that's where people are on Kickstarter. Now they want to look at something and say, that's hundred percent happening. And it looks like it's basically done. I'll do it. Oops. Yeah. Um, but back then people were a lot more, um, still willing to, to gamble, but we did bring like, we, you know, we actually had combat built and stuff at that point, And then we had lots of pretty art. So that, that helped us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, all right, let's, what should I ask? I next? Know. <laughs> like, There's uh, so what, okay. you.
1: We should talk about the game, huh? We should
0: <laughs> probably like at some point here. I I mean, it, there's so many interesting things to pick apart. I might need to bring you back because there is the whole like, how did you transition? Um, you worked in the game. The game obviously took off. I love it. It's amazing. How did the there? There's such a vibe and a feeling to this game that isn't simply in the art, though. Like it, it's in the audio. It's in the even the it's in the names of the afflictions or the personality traits <laughs> that the that your characters mm-hmm. get. Um, it's just such a cohesive vision. How did you two? Were, did you just both know that from the beginning? How did you congeal on that? How did you? I, I mean, I guess I'm going to answer the, the only question. I think when you keep the team small, it's a lot easier to keep everybody kind of rowing in the same direction. And it does seem like you were a pretty small team. But yeah. S- but still, like, do you have any tips for how did how did you do this?
1: Yeah. Well, so just going to the nugget, I think that this. The strongest part of Darkest Dungeon has always been that there was a really ca- um, compelling nugget or you know, nucleus, genesis, whatever, of this whole, and um, that's always guided us. So, you know, it's it sounds kind of rote, but I think some, some games um, find their identity through a lot of prototyping and playing around, and then you pivot, you pivot and find something amazing. You know, mm-hmm. Fortnite. I mean, just to use an example, like the successful version of Fortnite is not, what it shipped as, you know, it didn't ship as this. Um, uh, what that? Did it didn't.
0: It? it didn't become a battle, battle royal. royal.
1: Yeah. Battle royale. Yeah. Royal. yeah. Um, okay. So Chris, um, Chris is a fantastic creative director. So I want to give some. I got to give some mad props to my, my um, brother from another mother, uh, Chris. <laughs> so um, the core. So the core idea of Dark's Dungeon was just always like, what would it really be like to be a hero? It would be kind of miserable. Um, like a hero in this in this case like a typical fantasy i go underground and i fight skeletons um and i get money you know like we've all played well sorry i played a lot of like D and a lot of times it's kind of like a bubblegum campaign where you're like you know we're the heroes we go fight stuff we get money we get powerful um and you know we we were really like fascinated by like just a lot of genre movies that showed the human side i mean i think like you know it's It's used all the time, but just take even like Hudson from Aliens, you know. Mm -hmm. Um such a great character, such an interesting turnabout, where like Ripley is the one who like is stalwart in the face of pretty much everything that's thrown at them. And and, you know, here's this guy with military training and all the and you know, the gun and the whole bit, and breaks down like at the first time things go wrong. Um, and so that, that kind of stuff we always thought was really compelling. And so Chris was like you know, he had that that nugget, and he he already had the name. He was like Darkest Dungeons. Like it would be really, you know, it just says it all. The name says it all, which which you know is one reason that the name survived from the very first like idea of the game to now. Um, you know, which I also think is just really cool. And so, uh, Chris and I have been batting different game ideas back back and forth, but this one you know really hit to, hit home to me right away too because I had played so much like tabletop role-playing games and also a lot of um, all the classic RPGs growing up, you know, the Ultimas and Wizardries and Might and Magics and all those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I love that genre, but it's kind of terrifying to enter it, right? Because you're like, this is one of the oldest computer gaming genres. Like, what new do you have to offer? You know, that was that was something that was really like, we didn't want to just make a cool RPG. Like, we knew we had to have a hook. And so when he when he when he kind of presented that one time, I was like, "That's it!" And I could immediately think of all these tabletop situations I'd have where someone's role-playing a character really well, and they go, you know, nuts or s- stressed out or whatever. Um, and we both love like Lovecraft stories where uh, the focus is a little more on like the in- you know insanity side, but um, mm-hmm. we wanted to focus more on the human side of like what did people do under stress. Um,
0: yeah, those are my favorite movies too. Things like, uh, shoot, I'm obsessed right now with um, what they do in the in the shadows. Oh yes, it's or just f- I, I like the magical realism, just like vampires, people with powers, but like in realistic situations, try to do real uh, people things. World going of going Dar-
1: to Super Bowl parties
0: and yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. Or I used to tabletop World of Darkness. I always thought the the um, the games where you're dealing with like real with realism uh, mm-hmm. applied to. I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but um, but yeah, no, I I can definitely see how that was a a huge thing there. So, how did you? Um, yeah. So so you started. You definitely started with this vision, which I I think yeah. is clear because it permeates. How did you go from okay? So we're going to make this game that's real about um about spelunking these dungeons. Did you mm-hmm. separately have this idea for these ki- for like the mechanics of the there'll be a four v four and you'll the positioning will matter. I think the, the actual raw mechanics of this game are really interesting. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's again, it's interesting because it, it it definitely, everything sprung, like, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of, like, songwriters. Like, I'm fascinated lately with just, like, how music is created. And sometimes someone's like, I have a guitar riff, and someone's written lyrics, and then they're like, we could put them together. And it's like peanut butter and chocolate. In this case, it was really like, okay, that is our that is our core, like, statement. Now, what kind of game can we build around that? so then we said okay well look we're gonna it's a small team we need to do it like just you and me because that was where we thought it was going to be um so we're like okay top down like I was immediately thinking like Ultima likes like some sort of top-down turn-based combat and you know we just started playing around with stuff like Chris um it's fun to work with Chris because he can like draw stuff up and then I can um you know try to opine about the systems or whatever um but in this case yeah like I think I was pushing a top-down 2D combat, and then Chris Chris wanted to... Basically, Chris wanted to be able to see the characters from the side because he thought... He's like, no one bonds, and I'm kind of repeating stuff that people have heard other talks we've given, but no one bonds with the top of someone's head, you know, like isometric or whatever. I mean, obviously, it can look cute, whatever, but he wanted you to, like, bond by looking directly at the character. And I have to admit, it was pretty compelling, but I was like, well, but I want a really interesting turn-based combat. So, like, with, with his idea of, like, how can we do this side-on, then, um, yeah, we started, like, riffing on the turn-based combat, and my, whole, my big, like, thing up front was just, like, there has to be enough depth, like, because with 2D top-down, you can do stuff like flanking and cover, and, like, even though it's a, it's a medieval game, it's still, like, cool, I could have a, you know, backstab bonus if I'm behind them or whatever, and as soon as you go side-on, I was like, oh, crap, like, there's not enough here. Um yeah, I mean I could, I could like, definitely okay. see that.
0: Like if I've seen other games try to do s- that are similar to Darkest Dungeon, but for instance they're on a grid, um yeah, and it's like yeah, grid yeah. versus grid and it just doesn't uh how do I put it? It it doesn't Con- have it's not as compelling.
1: Yeah, like constraints work to our advantage. I mean, I I guess that's the thing is like strong strong central idea um Small team meet that drove our constraints in 2D illustration and systems design. Like you start, you know, you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so, and then like with that kind of hypothesis of what if we were side on and we started run, running that to ground and kind of one way we kind of like to work is take an idea and try to like shoot holes in it, you know? And, um, and if you shoot holes in it, then you're like, okay, well, that didn't work. So this was, you know, both the darkest dungeon idea as well as the combat. Um, the further we dove into it, the more excited we got, and the more depth we found there was. And so, like, it's just kind of one of those things where, like, like, yeah, I think I think both the central idea and and the idea for doing side side based combat, as much as it pains me, were both originated from Chris. Mm-hmm. But then I, what I felt like my job was to do um, is to make sure they would work. You know, and so then um, it became kind of exciting. It's like, wait, this could work. And once we kind of happened upon the, um... so an inspiration for me on on the combat was uh, like the old Bart's Tales where you like assemble a party of six and you're like the first three or four can hit in melee and the the back two or three can only use ranged weapons. Um, And so like that mapped right away to the 2D because I'm like, okay, well, clearly someone in front can melee with someone in front on the other side. But like abstractly, like even though it doesn't actually make sense to be fighting in a a hallway quite this way, but it did match the theme of being in hallways or whatever. But you're like, okay, someone in back can do ranged attacks and they can shoot other people in back, and then you get all these weird mixes where, like, for example, like one one of my favorite skills in the game is the Hellion has this Iron Swan skill, which can only be used in the front and can only hit the very back enemy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and that's weird. But but all the mechanics like this is just kind of how I try to design as a designer is like, I love starting with theme, even though like mechanics are what I live and breathe. I love starting with theme because that, that's what creates interesting mechanics that I feel like then resonate. So even in the case of say the hellions attack iron Swan, um, she has a glaive and it was like, okay, so this is just kind of a trippy thing where like, if she's in front, she's almost too close to hit the front people with this thing with, with her special move. So she does this weird, you know, pirouette and can, Get the caster in back and also now there's this interesting tactical depth because you're like usually my front rank can't hit the back rank but with mm-hmm. the hellion you can you know and um it just like there was so many layers like the further we got into it and i was panicked like the whole time like what if, what if you know what if we just can't come up with another idea for a monster or a boss because we've used all the mechanics and it just on through all the dlc we just kept kept coming up with stuff
0: yeah i mean there is there is an incredible amount of depth in darkest dungeon um, I, the, I, I can speak, I, I feel like I would just, gosh, you know, it'd be awkward, but like, I, I love the pacing of the game. I love that you have, I, I love that the torch goes down. I love the decision, the risk reward of, of what you buy before you go in and how much you can carry out. I love the, having to, to, uh, how choosing how you upgrade and choosing who you leave and what, whether you heal somebody up so they're less insane, so that you're safe on the next uh, run there's so many mm-hmm. risk reward options in that game mm-hmm. and there's and it works especially well because you have this tied to these characters i think it was really smart that you started with theme i really love the um i love any game where there are human personality traits that impact the gameplay and you have loads of that in darkest dungeon um i the, a lot yeah, well, of japanese tactics games do that and they're they're always my favorite games um
1: yeah i mean that that again goes to that kind of core like thesis of like or another another way like i i like to say it was your heroes are human just because like it's it sort of embodies um you know all that and i think that that um again all those mechanics kind of sprung out of just being like how can we realize this and so risk reward was a natural um because like in in two soft games it's it's just reward it's like challenge and reward but not risk Mm -hmm. like so the, the risk was so fundamental to darkest dungeon from the beginning too and um that's why we have the auto saving and the permadeath and the, all those things is it it came about organically from like how can we make you feel that this life of an adventure is rough and if you can just reload like you can make a very challenging game that you can reload and it's a, you know like securo or something
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and it's extremely hard but you're not always risking, you're just trying to execute. And I'm not saying, just doesn't mean anything bad. I just, but in Darkest Dungeon, the core was risk. And that's what drives people either to the game or away from the game is like, we're asking you to take these constant risks.
0: But I feel like it's, it's my decision though. Like I could have always made, even when I lose, it's like, well, I made the decision not to bring torches. I decided to let it get dark because I wanted the better loot, you know? Uh, And so I don't, I don't get mad. I don't feel like it's the designer's fault when I lose or or that I, I feel like it was the decisions that I made that led there.
1: I'm I'm grateful that's what we're trying to do. I mean, there's plenty of people that are mad at me, um, <laughs> but I think that like, you know, it goes to like poker again. I mean, it's no it's no surprise. Like poker is a game about risk and reward with uns- with imperfect information and imperfect control. And so like you can 100 percent make the absolute right move and lose all your money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is maddening but it's also really compelling and so darks dungeon is the same way where like there you could you could bring the right amount of torches and shovels and have treated your heroes great and all this and then just get like triple crit and all of a sudden everything goes to hell and but that's what creates those situations too of um like I like what you said about it it's your own decision that's what we're trying to do like when you get a party wipe you know what we like to try to say is like well that's probably your fault well no the crit and this crit and that crit it's like well but when you lost your first hero you decided to stick it out because you wanted to win and then you lost your second hero and then you said oh i better retreat but then that's the first time you tried to retreat and that failed and then you got you know whatever it is um, yeah. now obviously like sometimes it is out of your control
0: and the only um, reason they went insane was because you didn't make sure that they, like you didn't clear them entirely of insanity because you wanted to save your resources and you know, you always have your A team and your B team. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah you're
1: like I, this. This person wasn't worth treating. You yeah. Know, I didn't and then, it, but fun. you put one
0: of your A team on that that run out of like necessity because you thought mm-hmm. it'd be fine, and then you, then you lose your Hellion, and and that's obviously the coolest one in the game. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> she is my favorite. But you know, but it, it, the weird other side of it though is, um, we don't want people to feel bad at it like a lot of people say oh that game is i'm bad at it and it's like no it's a hard game like you can make good decisions so sure you can make bad decisions but you can make good decisions and lose just like i said about poker and so i think like you know we we don't want like it's purposefully i i kind of have this internal debate you could say the game is super unfair you could also say it's the fairest possible because it's it's like you know like fair in the in the the all-knowing sense of rolling the dice you know which is the dice doesn't hate you the <laughs> dice just might roll a one three times in a row for you you know um and that would of course all of us dnd players we would banish that dice or put it in the freezer or whatever you gotta do oh to, man <laughs> your uh
0: your buddy sid meyer has some thoughts about probability manipulation that you should probably totally.
1: and you know yeah one thing actually i want to say like is really important to me is Darkest Dungeon, again, came about, all the mechanics are derived from its core thesis. It doesn't necessarily embody, like, my approach to saving, my approach to RNG, my approach, my, my, my. Like, like I think a lot of times games are a direct expression of the creator's own whims. Um, in a weird way, I would say Darkest Dungeon is... Um, It is what it needed to be to to make it work. Like, I, as a game player, generally like permissive saves. And probably as a designer, I probably generally like permissive saves. But permissive saves for this would ruin it. And so that's been a fun part of the game for me is just design-wise is, you know, is not just pulling out your old bag of tricks and just trying to make them all fit. It's like going, what does this have to be? to make it work.
0: Yeah. And I think that helps you make something more distinctive. I mean, there's definitely counter arguments. Like I think Slay mm-hmm. the Spire, for instance, is a pure design design game. Like I don't think they came up with a theme and then tried to make mm-hmm. mechanics that fit the theme. You know, it was purely mm-hmm. like, this is what will mecha- mechanically, this is what makes the most sense. Uh, I guess we should give this some art maybe Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Um, at the last minute. Um, the, whereas darkest dungeon definitely started from the other direction, and I, I, it's one of the reasons why I love it. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why it was definitely one of the reasons why it was kickstarted.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean that that again. Like, I, I want to give props to Chris because, and and kind of your earlier question, like, so Chris adopted the role of creative director of the game. Um, and it was funny because Chris, Chris, and I are both super ambitious, and we both like have kind of run our own things before, and we, we still jockey for, um control in different things sometimes but mm-hmm. we also do you, the product would do you butt heads
0: a lot do you fight yeah we butt
1: heads i mean we, we butt heads on specific things a lot um mm-hmm.
0: uh
1: which i can get to in a minute but we also uh, we we also have a thorough understanding that we could not have made this game without each other and that it's greater than the sum of its parts and so you know it it's kind of like um well, yeah, there's so much you could say about, but but the thing I was going to say first is just that um, Chris does a fantastic job of creative d- direction, meaning it goes beyond the art. So although he is the art director and he drew like the majority of the art assets in DD One, um, he he was also responsible for kind of making sure that everything adhered to um, a unique vision, or sorry, the the one unified vision. And what I was going to say there is like ultimately you just cannot butt heads about that constantly. So I think there were certain areas in the game where we kind of were fighting for control. Um, and we eventually, you know, ceded control to each other in various areas because it, you can't, you know, you just like, like it's good to, um, help each other do better, but you know, ultimately like I use text as an example, like ultimately you can't have two editors. You can't have two people deciding which word stays and which word goes. Like you do need someone to make the call. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so overall creative direction like um that's chris's role and so chris did a great job of like you know music sound all the above like well first of all we partnered with really good people and then second of all like chris is kind of the the final like does this fit Um, mechanically i i can like you know make my say there but like Chris is going to make the call on, does this music track work? You know, does this, does this like fit the Dark dungeon world? Does this fit the, and so um, he's, he's just great. You know, he's great in that role. He's great at shaping that in the game. Um, having a strong creative direction makes it so much better to design, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so like, and it, so, you know, like I seeded a lot of ground there, whereas I think like Chris seeded ground on the operational side of the business and stuff like that, that I tend to do more of. And it's like, and we both still have these arguments. We'll both still kind of be like, I want to be doing more of that thing. But then we kind of have to look each other in the eye and be like, but you're doing a fucking great job. So it's not like I can complain. So I guess keep on. <laughs> and, you know, with making the sequel and a bigger staff, it's just great to have someone doing a thing, you know? So it's. I think we've also gotten to the point where we're just like so appreciative that there's certain things the other person could just take and run with. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's like what he would say, you know, on the... But but I but I have to say that the creative direction of Darkest Dungeon is top notch, and that is his role, and that has been hugely important to the success of the game.
0: Oh man! All right, so let's talk about the game launched. You spent a long time on DLC. When did you when did you know it was time to work on a sequel, or to work? Did you know it was time to work on a sequel? Did you think about making a different game or growing the studio and having yeah. a multi project studio? Like, well, yeah, what happened?
1: So Dar's Dungeon blew up as you probably know and suddenly we're in this position where it's like oh we could fund other things if we want or whatever um, but for, first of all like you know we were just so focused on DD and then we decided to do DLC we're like hey if there's an audience and they want DLC then you know that's good so we did a DLC ended up being really successful that was Crimson Court and yeah we went a little bit overboard uh, we made it even harder we did some crazy shit like we probably made it too insane like we did the crimson curse where like you get vampirism and then you can spread it on your roster and then other people can get it and because we were kind of um at that point we're just trying to do more of what people love about dark's dungeon we're like well they love that it's hard they love that it's quirky they love that it's weird so we went extra weird and hard um hold on i gotta crack this uh drink um yeah and so like we, but it was really good for the business too, and and uh, good for the game. And you know, in this new kind of era of like live games, we're like, well, let's keep. And we also did a free update on Darkest Descent. We did the Radiant update, which we did about six months after our 1.0, and that was a, a free update because we just we had more stuff that we wanted to do and more stuff that we felt like we had promised to do for free. So we jammed that in. Um, we ended up doing all the DLC because we kept having ideas, and it, and it was good business um mm-hmm. basically i mean that those that's all those things together but if we hadn't had ideas we would we wouldn't have done it so like you can look at our okay compared to like a paradox who has their dlc game down right like it's a it's a finely tuned machine it's like you know that there's going to be 75 different dlcs and they're going to be cool and you know we were like well let's make a dlc okay what are we going to do all right all this crazy shit. we jam it in what are we going to price it well we we're terrified of overpricing so we end up pricing Cryptic at ten bucks, which I honestly think probably should have been twenty bucks. Like we jammed so much in that in that thing, and then we're like, okay, well let's do a smaller DLC. Well, let's do a character class because that's something I really wanted to try. Is like, will people buy individual character classes, and is that cool? So we did the Shieldbreaker, and then of course we're like, you know what? Chris was like so stressed about drawing another character, and then he's like, what if she has these dreams about snakes? And I was like, what? You're blowing up the scope. So we do that. <laughs> For like 399. Why three ninety nine? I don't know, because we were terrified of charging too much. And then we're like, wait, we have some more ideas. And that's where Color of Madness came from. So I I have to say, like, it was all really organic. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning like we have ideas we still want to do, let's make a DLC. And then we like each DLC was kind of different in scope and everything. Um, Color of Madness, yeah, had all the endless mode and all this shit. And then like we charged four ninety-nine for that. And um Somewhere around there, though, we're like, we could keep doing this for like five years, but maybe we should do another game, you know? Like, <laughs> um, so basically starting DD2 was a combination of um, just forcing ourselves to stop DLC, basically, and knowing we wanted to do another game, and then finally deciding we'd do another Darkest Dungeon game. So first of all, no, I don't want to make Darkest Dungeon games till the end of time. Like, I'm so ready to work on something else, um, I think Chris is too, but not because we don't love it. It's just like, I can't believe like, you know, it's already been eight years. Like I've been working on Darkest Dungeon for eight years. And by the time Darkest Dungeon 2 comes out is 1.0, goes to all the platforms. Like maybe there's DLC if people like it enough, you know, that could be like 12 years or some crazy shit. Like that's a long time for one game.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So <laughs> it's when- a great
1: problem to have, by the way. I'm not complaining. I'm no, just it's, that,
0: I mean, it's you know- something I used to, I resisted the concept of, uh, I loved the, the old days, the way it was when you would work really hard, crunch, launch a game, and then go on vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I still, like, I want to ship a game and be done. And I, I resist very much this idea of, like, working a live game that you're constantly updating, even though it is the way everything's going. Yeah. And I, I think I'm warming up to it. I think after Lab Rat, the next game will probably be something along those lines. But I, I can, I look at that with dread, like, what a slog. But I, I can also see the other side of it, that it evens things out, that you're not like mm-hmm. that that uh, there's this really exciting moment when you launch, followed by like a sad, kind of depressed, what do I do with my life oh, yeah. moment. And that doesn't happen Absolutely. if you have a game that's that's like always going on. Oh,
1: it's true. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and in this case, um so I was definitely pretty burnt out like after right around after we shipped Crimson Court, I think. I had some like personal stuff happen and whatever. Um, but also just, you know, we have been going hard for a long time. And um, and the, the key to me about making Darkest Dungeon 2 was never only about, like, does this make business sense? Um, I wanted to feel excited about doing more stuff in the Darkest Dungeon world. And I'm just speaking for me because I don't want to speak for, for Chris, for example. Uh. But um, once I had a little bit of downtime, like, I, I didn't, I, like, got a little bit of a break and then, like, all of a sudden, had, having all these cool ideas, and then like Chris and I started batting ideas to get you know back and forth about what the sequel could be, and and then it was kind of like a no brainer from the sense of like, yes, we already know this is this this is a you know makes there's a business argument for it, but um, but as soon as we could find the excitement again, then it was like yeah, let's do this, um, mm-hmm. and so that that was fun. Like it was it wasn't like oh god, like the golden handcuffs of making a sequel to a hit game. It was like this would be fun. Like there's so much cool stuff in darkest dungeon that we would like to do more of and expand and kind of like, you know, add to. And, um, so then it became like an exciting thing, you know, and, and that's really been the last couple of years of working on it is we're really excited about it. We're also terrified. Like there's no piece of us that feels like, well, you know, it'll be successful because dark dungeon was successful. Like, and we're doing enough different things that, um, it's not it's not a it's not a slam dunk, like by any means. Like and so it's terrifying again, but I think like we thrive in that, you know, you know from being a creative, like I think if you're not somewhat terrified, you're just
0: you're not pushing yourself. Things, right? Yeah, if you're not terrified, you're not trying, you're not pushing yourself.
1: And Darkest Dungeon would have never come about if we didn't take some really bold risks. Like there were people we showed like midway, you know, partway through the development, like publishers that are like, Well, I think you should do this or that you know, basically sand down the rough edges. And it's like, no, like, Darkest Dungeon needs those rough edges. So I think that to honor, like, the way we developed that game, we we tried as hard as we could to develop this one in a similar way. It's obviously a little bit different um, with more people, with more funding, whatever. Um,
2: yeah, but creatively,
1: okay. Chris and I are having all the same discussions that we had before DD1 launched, which is just like, oh man i hope this works oh god what if it's a flop oh what if everyone hates it oh god we'll be the people that made the hit game followed by the flop like all that stuff happens and that was the way we were at darkest dungeon also so i hope that's a good sign
0: <laughs> hey man i'd rather be one of the people that made the hit game followed by the flop than one of the people nobody's ever heard of so i think no matter. i know that doesn't help at all i no, know
1: we recognize the That's why, you know, I said. Also, we have those pinching ourselves moments of like, I can't believe people are still buying and playing this game, Mm -hmm. and we're really grateful. So, like,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Um, (laughs) Did you have to split the team between DLC and the next game, or did like this is the
2: question? Um, Yeah, this
1: goes to the heart of just where we're going with Red Hook. Um, We decided that the only way we know how to successfully make games at Red Hook right now, not because we have. I guess, made something and failed, but is giving our full attention, you know, as much as possible to it, uh, Chris and I. So Chris and I don't want to just run a company. We want to make the game. That's more important to us than running the company. Um, and so, uh, and we work well together and we the game succeeded because of our different, we feel like, um, of our different strengths and of course our team. And so, the, like we feel like the big, just the big f up that we could make is go. Great, we've got some money and we've got you know this. Let's go make two games or three games or. Um, and I admire the people that that do that, and they might have different skill sets. But Chris and I felt like we want to be everybody's involved if we can, you know, making this. And so let's just keep it to a one-game studio. The thing we did experiment with is we made the Butcher Circus um, for. Um, at the same a bit at the same time so that was our first co-development on anything but we we uh we were still heavily involved we hired some great people we worked with a great um external team as well um and they you know i say they because i definitely feel like i was not as involved as i would have liked to be ideally they made a really cool thing but we decided that's just not how we want to operate is have multiple teams going Mm -hmm. so we're just all, we're like a, a boutique, you know, I think Supergiant uh, springs to mind as someone we admire. Um, they could easily have grown, especially now, and maybe they will, who knows, with Hades' success. But um, they are a small group of people that know how to make games together, and they're happy doing that. They don't need to make 7,000 games. They don't need to have, you know, like, they don't need to be even bigger. They just, they like what they're doing. It's a lifestyle business. I think that's, like, really important, Um
0: Cool. So you're you basically you did try to how to put this. You did not split the team. You did try to do a little bit of DLC while also doing Darkest Dungeon 2. But for the most part, it's all hands on deck on whatever the main project is.
2: Yeah. Honestly, yeah. But your circus is the
1: only is the it, only thing where it was a little a little fuzzified. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, the only reason it's a lifestyle company. Like the only reason you split the team is so you can grow and eventually. I mean, there's safety and having like multiple shots on goal. You know what i mean yeah yes, i can yes, yes. see that like i, I yeah. can see the arguments for doing it but uh i no,
1: or like um i don't okay so like as an example um we really are good friends with and admire ryan clark at brace yourself games <gasps> um and they made krypton and echo dancer and then you know but now they're making like three four games and brian or sorry ryan you know, he, he wanted to grow a games studio and make multiple cool games. So like he, he wanted to emulate, say, Clay, for example,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Where, um, where they, they're able to have multiple games going on at the same time at a still high level of quality. And we think that's awesome and cool and admirable. Um, it's just kind of not... You just got to pick your... I guess it's like what I was saying earlier about your strengths. It's like pick your strengths. And um, we would have to change how Red Hook functions to make, say, three games at once. And we just don't want to do that right now. Now, we might change our mind, you know. um, But we know that we couldn't do the thing we're doing right now on three games. We can't have the Chris and Tyler tag team dual-headed dragon that probably everyone on the team is tired of because they have two bosses. Um, We can't do that on, like, three games at once. It's just not realistic. Now we could hire good people or whatever, you know.
0: And, yeah, you would have to become a person that manages it. like three different teams that each have their own design director, uh, but you wouldn't get to be the design director. And I think it's smart that you know that about yourself, that you would hate that and that you don't want to do
2: that. Yeah.
1: It's a mix of, it's a mix of like, don't want to do it anymore. And also looking at strengths, like there was definitely a point like 10 years ago where I thought, yeah, I wanted to lead a big team. And honestly, now I just think that, um, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the other way of going, like, I don't know. I think I'm a good, I'm good at certain things. I don't think I'm a great people manager. I care a lot, but I just yeah, so that sounds like torture to me. It's like I don't want to have 30 reports. Like I just want to make games. I want to dive into my spreadsheet and and just still make. Like that that part has never gone away and um I don't think will go away hopefully.
0: Oh man, that's beautiful. This is going to be the longest podcast I've had in a long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I've I forgot about the time. I, I feel bad for everybody else. Does anybody have any questions? Yeah, I've been monopolized. yeah, do you, like I see some of you guys in the chat. You can raise your hand if you have any questions. Um, but,
1: yeah, please I feel like I've blabbed about I hope some of it is interesting. No, uh, oh,
0: what I really <laughs> want to do is get Chris on here for a podcast, yeah, and then get the oh, other yeah. half.
1: <laughs> he's a great and he's a he's he's a great uh, he's a good get. He's funny. Uh, you know Chris, so whatever
0: i've, but, I've only um, I've met you each like once, I think but
1: oh that's it oh for some reason i thought you knew him better
0: no nah, man cool. I, yeah that one time at gdc i mean i don't like I don't. Know. Yeah, yeah i yeah. meet everybody at gdc one or two times
1: i know i know yeah. there's nobody has it no one has any dark dungeon credit is anyone is anyone they're any actually game?
0: all afk this is just <laughs> yeah, a giant I, <laughs> I don't blame them
1: that's okay. Um, okay someone's there that's good uh yeah the um it's been it's been funny on that regard with like the partnership thing too, because um, yeah, like I said, the, the greater than the sum of the parts is really interesting. Because I got my start making games alone, um, like alone, alone, because I didn't even know I didn't even know another soul who made games. Like when I first started, um, so I didn't have anyone to bounce things off of other than like people that are like, "Oh, that's cool," or you know, like, but not other game designers or other. Um, so my. I, and I still feel to some degree, like my comfort zone is just like working on a game by myself, but that's not my success zone. Like, and so I think that like, this has been, the Hat journey has been really cool because I, and I, I've said it before on other things, but like the, the team members, the people like not just Chris, but who, you know, other, the other team members and our, our external partners, like we just managed to put together such a good team. And that never like leaves my mind of like that the game could have only succeeded, you know, with such, such a good team. And so I think that there's a little bit of um, having started making games by yourself, there's maybe a little bit of like, I don't know, lead singer syndrome where you're kind of like, you want to be the reason why it's good, like selfishly, um, egotistically, whatever, you know, there's, there's a piece of, of your brain that like, wants to know that the game couldn't have existed without you, and maybe, like, you're the superstar. Um, And I think the coolest thing about, like, the Red Hood experience has been just, like, how, uh, just how the game would not exist without
0: any one specific
1: person. Yeah, like, I just think of, like, how fortunate we were, you know? I mean, that Chris and I met up, that we got, you know, um, you know, Brooks, who was just this, like, workhorse, like, tech animator and then we got like wayne and then stewart our composer and Kier, the per like everybody and power up audio like it, it um it sounds like i'm doing the stupid oscar acceptance speech in a, but it but <laughs> no. but i really mean it from a standpoint of like when i go hobby on a game by myself um like which i sometimes do just to try to keep my skills alert and sometimes be able to think about something other than darkest dungeon you know it's 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 easy to remember just like, wow, this is such a special time to be able to make this together. Like, um, when I make a game by myself at some point in the future again, you know, it's it's going to be a cold, hard <laughs> reawakening.
0: I suppose. I, I, I've always said the hardest thing in this industry is finding your collaborators, finding the people you want to work with. It's all mm-hmm. down to chemistry and timing and, and a bunch of other things. But just finding other people that will bring the same passion, getting it's not enough to be two people that that both like the same things you have to work in the same style like mm-hmm. it's just re- building a team is so hard especially for these smaller games for indie games for uh, yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean chemistry skills like all those things factor in and um and we're lucky on dd2 like we've hired some really amazing people and it's you know it's really cool to like to see like what they're doing and so it's um I guess it's just not hard to it's easy to not get too big ahead, I think, because you just know that this thing would not exist without the the whole band, you know, and and uh, so there's a kind of a gratefulness in there, actually, a little bit of a relief and gratefulness. but
0: mm-hmm. yeah, Charlie, you you have uh, the floor if you want to ask a question.
1: Hey, Thank you, Gwen. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a question. During development, like uh, when you were designing the game, did you find yourself benchmarking a lot of uh, probably other games or game ideas? Uh, um, Not well. It might have been for inspiration, but probably for you know making sure that you weren't uh, necessarily copying something from other games or something like that. Like having that ear. Yeah, um, it's a great question because um, it's super relevant. But I will say that I desperately try to avoid looking at other similar games that are like c- contemporaries um, when they're happening, because it terrifies me that I'm going to see something that is similar to what we're doing. Or um, and, then it start, and then you start thinking about, like, do I need to change this mechanic just because it's similar, you know, even though it was the right mechanic for the game, like, or it just gets in my thought process. Um, so I am definitely inspired by other games. But um, for me, the more comfortable inspiration is games that previously existed. Like I have a, I collect retro games. I have a ton of old Commodore and Amiga and PC Big Box. And I often reflect back on those um, games a lot for like inspiration because it, it was like the indie period of before, right? Where like one, two, three, four, five people could make a game and, um, and they did some crazy stuff. Like that's the thing is like indie's, you know, you have the chance to do crazy stuff. Um, so no, I try to avoid at all costs. But obviously, like something will pop on, and you got to look at it. And it's always just like a dagger to the heart if it's too similar, uh, or if it's or if it's something similar and they're do- you know they're doing a great job. And you're like, well, great. Like now I'm going to be the second best version of that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but I think um, going to that what I said earlier about um, the mechanics, the way I like to design is mechanics come about organically from um, the idea, that's, you know, I kind of want to be inspired by as much as possible by other things rather than um, contemporary games. Other than, of course, like, you know, best practices. Is, it's really important to just kind of know how, how the genre is evolving and, and whatever. But um, I don't know. I just, I don't like the way it affects my own process if I'm thinking too much about what other people are doing.
0: Yeah, I it's funny because before we started this, I was actually asking Tyler about um, Monster Train. Because I just picked that up today. <laughs> and it it is weird. It has similar... It's like a crossover between Slay the Spire and Darkest Dungeon in certain ways. I'm only half an hour into it. Um, but yeah. But you're, you're already excited. I am. It was a very exciting half an hour. It was very <laughs> difficult to stop and have this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, my, my good friend... I was telling my good friends that... Um, like, I have a couple good friends who honestly play Darkest Dungeon, not just because I made it. Um, which, you know... And they were like so hooked on Monster Train, of course. Like they play all the, all, all the good like chunky stuff like that. And so I'm like, I need to give them Darkest Dungeon two and see what they say because, you know, it's actual good relevant feedback. But yeah, Monster Train's been on my list. I just haven't actually played it, but it, it looks it looks.
0: Interesting. Well, I mean, if you don't want it, it if you don't want it to influence Darkest Dungeon two, that that's a decent enough excuse, other than well, just being hella busy. We're,
1: we're far enough along now that like. Um, you know, we were releasing Darks Dungeon 2 in 2021, at least the early access. So, we, you know, stuff is kind of baked in now, so it's not too terrifying.
0: <laughs> All right. We did have another question from the chat. I'm going to read off real quick. Uh, let me find it again. Uh, this is comes from Captain of My Souls. I watched a lecture given by Chris about design principles where he found himself developing organically as he worked. Stuff about elegant and reductive visual design. So Tyler, did you find yourself developing a similar set of design principles for systems or other things you specialized in over the course of your game's career? Oh,
1: um, yeah, in- that's a great question. I've definitely, um, there's some through lines. I guess every game is so different. You know, like I've I've worked on, yeah, a, it's like Sonic the Hedgehog and Darkest Dungeon. So there's like, <laughs> you know, like, for example, on, on polar sides of um, But yeah, there's definitely certain certain through lines that I find, like if I look back at the games that say have been successful, uh, not just commercial, I just mean like games where I feel like, oh, that's a good design versus ones that I'm like, not proud of that one. Um, You know, it it definitely comes again from um, trying to layer, I like to layer in, um, okay, I like to create, individual mechanics that maybe aren't that complex on their own but when you layer them together you get a really interesting texture um and so there's like a feel there there's a building up um so for example when i made horde the, the dragon game um it was kind of like just keep adding layers until ooh, now it's just kind of too much and you pair those layers back and i love i love just that i like to make games that are almost like toys for myself as well like if i have my choice um i want to be able to enjoy the game and play it myself. And that, that's why, like, I think maybe I'm not good at making scripted experiences, like I said earlier, because there's no mystery to it anymore. I, like, know every every little... Um, whereas, in theory, I can play Darkest Dungeon and be surprised by what happens because of the crazy ways that the, you know, the systems interact. And so I just, yeah, I love... Um, it's kind of why, like, I you know, I joke a lot about spreadsheets and stuff, but that's because a lot of times I am designing in spreadsheets. But it's not just cold math. It's, it's all... Um, I love being able to sit there. Like, the affliction system in Dark's Dungeon is a great example, um, where, like, I didn't... Our first thing we we said is not, like, how is sanity represented in other video games. It was, like, what would people do under stress? Well, like, Hudson, he kind of got, whatever, paranoid or hopeless, or, like, some people, you know, like get angry it's like you got your angry drunks and your happy drunks and your, you know and so you start doing all that and then you start piecing it together into a system and then at some point that becomes like an actual system spreadsheetable whatever and that that's how i love to operate you know i just love to kind of like hop between i don't know if that answered your question but i think that um it's really exciting like if i were a graphic designer i would enjoy the process of every client is a new is a new like challenge and i think if you bring too much of yourself to everything this is just my own advice like how i work i want some freedom to say like what is the right thing for this game not just like the way tyler designs is with you know this mechanic or that mechanic um
0: or this philosophy so or that philosophy through. yeah
1: but it is funny i do find myself repeating a lot of things and going and even the stuff where i mess up and i didn't i'm like why did i do that again like i've done that before and it didn't work why am i doing it again
0: which you generally try to be to feed off the creativity of other people or of of the game, which can necessarily come
2: from
1: different core idea. So, for example, like most of my game ideas, like when I'm jogging them in my notebook, like for a new game, um, come from travel, books, movies. Like they rarely come from playing a game and going like I want to make a better better mousetrap. It's like you know I, I went and saw the Salem Witch Trial Museum in Salem, Massachusetts, and then I made a game about witch trials, like a satirical game about the witch witch trials, or like I watched Ed Wood about, you know, um, from, you know, Johnny Depp way back when about the guy who made terrible, like B movies in the fifties and sixties with like low budgets. And, and I made a game about trying to make the worst movie that you could create. And so all those things like the mechanics um, came secondary or okay. Like the, the best board game I've designed is called crows. And I love crows. They're cool birds. And that's why I made a game about crows. And I asked someone at the time who knew a lot more about crows than me. And I was like, what do what's what do crows do? And he's like, oh, they're attracted to shiny objects. And then I, that was like somehow the mechanic sprung in of like tile laying, and you place these shiny objects, and then the the crows are on the board too, and then they flock to the closest shiny object. So there's another example where like that mechanic could have been created in a vacuum as just an abstract. Um, but I don't think I, I could have I would have thought of it that way. I had to think of it like thinking of like birds chasing shiny objects.
0: Yeah, totally. I I hear that from a lot of different designers, that they generally get inspiration. The mechanics fall out of some some other thing, some guiding principle, and that guiding principle, that idea that whatever you want to call it, the vision, uh, often comes from something that's not necessarily a game. Uh, so I think, thank you so much for talking with me. We have gone on for quite a while, so I think I'll probably wrap up the podcast here. Yeah. Um, but hey, it's been great to have you. This has been Tyler Sigmund and Gwen Frey, and you've been in The dialog box.